today on The Breakdown. We have a couple of wizards casting spells at each other, but they're not putting an eye of newt into this cauldron, no. They're putting chips, poker chips, into the cauldron and mixing it up and smelling the smells. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Come closer, my pretty. Come closer. Well, come closer and look into the crystal and see a $25,000 buy-in event, a final table with only seven players left, some of the best players in the world, including legendary online poker player Ben C.B., some other big name, big name players as well. But there's going to be a pot involving Ben where mystical things perhaps may happen. Watch out. You might just get cursed. Well, there's going to be some cool plays. I can promise you that. Hundreds of thousands of dollars are on the line. Let's get into it right now on The Breakdown with Grant Dennison and Jonathan Levy. <laughs> At the time that we were recording this, about two and a half weeks after Halloween, did the witches put some sort of spell on you that now is manifesting just starting today? Or you're like doing all sorts of witch stuff and thinking it's really great? I mean, was Halloween actually two and a half weeks ago? Or are you saying in your mind, because we're, we're recording this in Halloween, but when the listeners hear it, it will have been two and a half weeks and you're trying to seem current. Which is it? It's the uh, first one. It is November 17th. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's the first one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, cool. But I was just checking. I was just checking. You know, November 17th is actually a notable day, too. Do you know what's notable about November 17th? Uh, birth and death of Crypto the Superdog? No, it's oh. the day in which the subject of our experiment uh, finally breaks mentally. And we know that this happens because then it's about three or four years before he dies and we restart the simulation. And I'm talking, of course, about... Oh, wait. Um, Samathan Jevy. That's the, that's the person I'm talking Samathan about. Samathan Jevy. Sounds like he's yeah. uh, from Asia or something. Sounds like... A- like maybe yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, not. He doesn't live. Sounds like an Indian name. In he doesn't live in a suburb north of north of Portland, Oregon. Doesn't. No, he probably from India. Samathan, Jevy. Yeah. yeah, it's not not a name I've ever yeah. heard before. Yeah, but so you you knew because everybody who's part of the simulation knows about the subject of the simulation and that November 17th, 2020 is the day in the simulation in which the consciousness of that subject begins to break. So you knew that, right? I mean, it's weird. not the subject. I'm just going to say, it's weird that you'd have a simulation where everyone knows that they're in a simulation except for one person. That's like the Truman Show. It's not... Is that really a simulation? Using the word... It's more a dramatization. Using the the word everyone for a collective mind is kind of strange. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I'm not part of any collective mind. That I'm aware oh, of. Then I... Oh, weird. Uh, I guess I was just confused for a second. Yeah, you probably saw... Don't worry about Ed it. Ed TV too many times or something. That's what it was. Yeah, Ed TV. That was not a carefully constructed part of the simulation <laughs> at all. I mean, I will <laughs> no, say... No. I would like to say that it would be brilliant if, you know, the one person who's actually conscious within this whole simulation or dramatization right now in the world who's listening to this or is me or is you or whoever that is. Um, it would be brilliant to throw them off by actually making a movie called the Truman show about the Truman show. 
because then it'd be harder to believe that you're the subject of, you know, a big TV show and everything is just done for you. It's harder to believe that when they declare it so strongly, you know, it'd be kind of, kind of brilliant. I mean, TV show is a stretch. It's kind of research purposes, <laughs> but I mean, you it's know. on YouTube or whatever the YouTube equivalent is, right? Some version. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, November 17th, big day. Big, big day. day. Well, for, we did it. We all got you. there. Pop open your, uh, your orange juices and your champagnes and uh, mix them up. Okay. Mimosas for everyone. Pop. Wow, you actually knew the ingredients of an alcoholic drink. It's now, a that is miracle. A pretty common one. <laughs> Still. It's pretty easy. I don't know if I know yeah. the ingredients to any other alcoholic drink except that one, though. I bet, I bet you know a couple, like Hit. gin and tonic, rum well, and coke. Well, that's not fair. But anything yeah. where the, the, the ingredients are not directly in the name very clearly, I don't know if I know anymore. Like, if you said straight vodka, yeah, I know that one too. But, like, an actual name, something like mimosa, I don't know if I could do any other one, literally. Let me see if I can like think of one. Like, a Bloody Mary is, like, tomato juice and... I don't even know what the alcohol is. Is it rum? I don't know what the alcohol is in a Bloody Mary. No, it's vodka. Yeah, see, that, was my, that would be my second guess, but... You probably have other stuff in there, too, like pepper and shit. I don't know. Yeah. And it's not really just tomato juice. It's like a Bloody Mary mix. Ah. It's like uh, it's got like spices and stuff in yeah. it. Do you know what a tequila sunrise is? I mean, there was a movie called Tequila Sunrise with Kurt Russell. That's all you need to know. Do you know <laughs> what a sea breeze is? Because I don't. A sea breeze is um, a brand of jet ski, I think. No, it's a sea dew. That's a sea dew. Yes, it a is. sea breeze is a wonderful thing that you experience laying back while someone brings you your virgin margaritas and you're reading a book on the beach. Nice sea breeze. Okay, here's here's a, a, a drink that too. the ingredients are well known in popular yeah. culture. You don't even have to drink it to necessarily know the ingredients. I think I know what you're going to say. I knew you were going to say a martini. I absolutely don't know yeah. the answer to that. Okay, gin is gin, right? Gin or gin? Well, no, you can use gin. Uh, there's gin martinis, also known as Gibsons, I think. Oh. But a martini is usually vodka okay. and vermouth. I wouldn't have gotten the vermouth either way. But I would have said gin. And if you told me gin was wrong, I would have said vodka. But no chance at vermouth. <laughs> so wasn't going to get that either. These things are hard if you don't drink or care, you know? Yeah. And I don't what's drink or care. Guess is, what's your guess as to what a Manhattan is? Jeez. Uh, iced tea, lemonade, and some Coke. And you pray the guy didn't spit in it. Manhattan. That's exactly right. No, it's a, <laughs> it, it, it's a martini, but with bourbon, basically. Really? I once Instead. had like a chocolate yeah. martini or a taste of a chocolate martini. It wasn't good. Yeah, that's actually not a real thing. It's basically a happy meal for a person who doesn't know how to drink. It was terrible. Because, you know, yeah, it tasted I'm like sure alcohol. It was. <laughs> it was awful. I don't know why. Can you explain to me in one minute or less why you like the taste of alcohol? Not why you like the effects of it, but why you like the taste of it. I don't like the taste of actual alcohol. Okay. I like the taste of certain things that are derived from alcohol that can only basically create that taste through the process that al- alcohol is produced in the process, like for beer. Mm-hmm. Beer can't, like non-alcoholic beer sucks. It's bad. Um, like the, the flavors in beer are, they need alcohol for it to happen. Got Same it. with wine. Uh, like, and I, I like really good wine, although I don't drink it very much. Same with like a really good scotch, stuff like that. Alcohol is a necessary component to create these flavors, which are just kind of like, uh, I'd say like high-end nuanced flavors. And once, once you're kind of used to the sting of alcohol and get, get past that, and it becomes just kind of a, an auxiliary flavor, obviously 
you don't want anything to taste too much exactly like alcohol. That's uh, in in drinking culture. That's called something tasting too hot. Um, but like the the flavors a lot that pair with the alcohol actually sometimes can be complementary once you're used to it. And it's kind of like just a interesting, fun palate ride. Hmm. I would say. Yeah, that was that o- good. That was over a minute. Okay, but was it satisfactory? <laughs> it was actually. It was quite satisfactory. I learned a lot. That was okay. So yes, but too long. So I'm gonna have. Sorry, you're out. <laughs> Disqualified. Yeah, That's no golden ticket. Once again, you well, failed. We don't know if these guys are drinking who are playing this because it's online. I'm gonna guess they're not because it's the final table of a twenty-five thousand dollar buy-in. I hope not. Um, yeah, although baller, bro. Yo, taking shots, winning money. You know what I'm saying? Everyone knows what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so this is uh, the EPT Super High Roller. Just happened on November 13th of 2020. It's 25K buy-in. It's, of course, a stacked final table because it's an online 25K. These things are tough to win, obviously. Yeah. Um, we do have Ben Ben CB, I guess, also known as Benjamin Roll, which I, I, I think his identity is usually pretty well hidden, but I guess it's been revealed recently. Ben CB, the, the founder of Razor Edge. Yep. Uh, and an online crusher. Uh, his opponent in the hand is going to be Elis Parsonen, who goes by EEE27. We're going to call him Elis. He's got a big history of online. He's won a, the F-Tops main event back in the golden age of poker. So, you know, there's other guys at the table who are really good. There's uh, Christian Rudolph, right? Uh, and... Yes, Christian Rudolph. The other really notable name is Joao Vieira, who we actually did a, uh, a breakdown hand on earlier this year. He won a 2019 WSOP bracelet. He's widely considered one of the best tournament players in the world. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, cool. all these guys are, by the way, there's seven left. All these guys are still in. This is a tough table. This is one of those tables you're like, come on, man, really? I mean, I know it's a 25K. Maybe you just can't do anything about it. When it's a you're like, really? There's no, Bill Perkins isn't here? Where's my Bill yeah. Klein when I need him? Where's Dan Shack one time? Like, what the fuck? I have to play against I don't think like, those all guys the tough are, guys. I don't know if those guys are playing the online 25Ks yeah. or not. They shouldn't be, so. They shouldn't be playing the live 100Ks either, but they are. So, you know, it's maybe, maybe they're also playing these. Yeah, this, this event had 81 players in it, and uh, only nine cashed, of course, and so just the final table. And uh, I don't know. How, I, I would guess very few of them are whale-type players. Yes, I would guess that as well. So, yeah, there are seven remaining. Current payout, 95K. First place is 540, so a long way to go money-wise. Yeah. Of course, there's only an 81-player field, so there's definitely going to be a huge difference between seventh and first when you're in an 81-player field. Um, this was suggested on, yeah, it's more significant when you, when you compare the bottom number to the buy-in, it's more significant in an 81 player field than it would be in a bigger field. Like the, the buy-in to bottom number versus bottom number to top number ratio is more significant in this spot. Maybe you're right. I will say that generally the top, the first place prize is like 10 X, the ninth place prize. And that's about what it is here too. So it's like nine X. So it, those, the ratios are about right. the same from like seven to one as well. But who cares? The difference I, is I'll, like let, how... Let's not drill deep into this. Nobody cares. Yeah, the difference is just how happy you are with your profit. Because yeah. like if you go right. out for 95K, it's, of course. you're not even getting four buy-ins back. That's you a know, great point. And of course you're right yeah. about that. Um, anyway, suggested by Kevin on Twitter. If you want to suggest a hand for the breakdown, Twitter is a great place to do it. We are the Poker Guys on Twitter. Uh, you can just look us up or we're at the number two Poker Guys 
include a YouTube link and a timestamp or text of the hand works too, or, uh, you know, give us uh, your phone number and we'll call you and you can describe the hand to us. <laughs> uh, Leave a really long voice message. That's fine. Yeah. Morse code works at this point. You know what? Actually, what we're a big fan of is if you buy one of those airplanes, you rent one of those airplanes and they do sky writing, but then you have to make sure we mm. look out at the sky before it disappears. But that's an awesome and way to have, do it. I'm always like and you have to moved by that. Give us all the relevant information if you do the sky writing. Yeah. Like make sure that you tell us if there's any short stacks at the table. Yeah. And, you know, like what what the Hendon mobs look like for the the three players who <laughs> are in between the two players who are playing the hand. You know, it's, stuff like it's that. It's all relevant, right? We need to know everything. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. only if you're doing sky writing. <laughs> Otherwise you could just send us the hand. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah, that's right. Okay, anyway. Let's get to it. Yeah. So 40K and 80K are the blinds. Folds around to Ben CB, who is in the cutoff. He's got 3.2 million, so about 40 bigs, or exactly 40 bigs. And he's going to open 7-9 of spades to 160K. All normal, all good. None of the sh- There are some short stacks at the table, but none of them are behind him at this point. Okay. There are, uh, there's like a stack of 12 blinds and a couple 15 blind stacks, but they've already acted. Then we got Elis Parsonen. In the small blind, he's got the same stack as Ben, and he's got Ace of Hearts, Queen of Spades. This is always a tough thing to navigate out of position with Ace, Queen off at this stack depth, especially considering the short stacks. How do you make your decision as to raise or to call? Uh, I think for me, the thing I'd be wanting to really be aware of is two things. Number one is how likely am I to get four bet by Ben? Right, If Ben's got a lot of yeah. light four bets in him, I don't really want to three bet this hand because I can't really continue even against a likely bluff when there's three short stacks. When there's like two mm-hmm. short stacks, there's like 12, 15, and 21 blind stacks here. Like, No, two, uh, 12, uh, 12 and two 15s. Oh my, oh my gosh, even less, sorry. Um, and we've got 40 blinds. Like we just cannot, like it's kind of, oh, oh, there are obviously hands we can get it in with here, but ace-queen probably isn't one of them like profitably. It's probably just a, a real punt ICM wise. So that's a reason just not to even blow up the pot. But of course the other side is we're, we're in the small blind, right? So by three betting out of three betting, we're going to get a lot of folds right away, partially because of those small stacks that also goes to our, that helps us if Ben's not going to four bet us light. Um, of course, if we get called, it's also hard to play this hand if we don't actually flop top pair, you know? Yeah. So I think you can make a really good case when you've got three short stacks like this to just flat, even though you're in the small blind, even though you're letting the big blind in, it's just cleaner and you don't have to like be in a terrible spot. You know, you keep the pot small, you make your decisions less high stakes. So yeah, I think that's, I think it's really reasonable to flat here. I think I would, I think I would lean on towards flatting most of the time. That's what feels best to me as well. I really like all of those things. I also like that, on the boards that are good for us, our opponent is going to feel like they have a range advantage and they're going to barrel into us. So that's really nice too. Mm-hmm. I mean, that said, if you think about what our actual flatting range is, the boards that are quote good for us, our opponent is going to know the board that our opponent might normally think is good for them. They should know that it's also pretty good for us. Like Kings and Queens and aces should be pretty good for us. A lot. Of, and we have some medium pocket pairs, but like we don't have suited connectors like ever. Right. Like we have like, I think we could have nine, 10 suited and hands like that. I don't think we can. But there's a 12 blind stack and two 15 blind stacks, and we only have 40 blinds affected from the small blind. I don't think we're calling 910 suited. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what Elis is doing, but I think I think it's a mistake to call 910 suited here. You don't think so? I I don't think so. Really? Not, not 40 blinds effective when 
it's only two blinds total to call. I mean, I think it's, it's cheap. I think it's fine. That is true. It is cheap. Um, the problem is, of course, like you can just get so much pressure put on you. You have to have a really big hand if, if Ben decides to put pressure on you. I assume Ben's the kind of guy who's going to put a lot of pressure on you, too, being that he's an online, like, like superstar type well, dude, you know? Well, suited connector type hands at 40 blinds are the type of hands that have maybe the least reverse implied odds at this stack depth. It's, like, pretty, pretty sweet in that way. Like, you, you, you know pretty well how well you're doing against your opponent's range most of the time in this spot. I mean, I kind of disagree. I mean, if we flop a pair, that's not true. It's only true if we hit, like, straights and flushes, right? I mean, if you have 9-10 suited and you flop a queen-10 foreboard, you're not going to lose all your chips. Um, true, true. Um, but, like, the other thing is, like, we can flop draws and get into a lot of trouble. Like, we don't get there. Like, if we flop a flush draw, we only get there a third of the time. You know, it isn't like... like I don't think it's profitable to call here. I admit I could be wrong. I have not run the numbers, but it, it strikes me as with these super short stacks that it's probably... I think it's incorrect to call. I, I understand that you disagree. And You know, you may, you may be right from a technical perspective when considering the strength of the field and everything. I, I think I'm, I'm thinking a lot from like my experience of playing against weaker right. fields and That's having a massive post-flop edge. And it's... Right. Like I would never consider folding nine ten suited with a forty blind stack out of the small blind against the typical player I'm going to be against in a five hundred fifteen hundred dollar tournament. Whatever. I think that's completely reasonable, right? But if you got Feder Holtz as the opener, and you're like, this guy does is made of money, doesn't care, knows what he's doing, is going to is going to bluff me like enough of the time, going to put pressure on me even when I flop a pair, I'm going to be out of position the whole time, and there's these super short stacks like three of them even, like where if I just sit around for 10 minutes, like I might move up three spots. That's like actual, like how much money is that, by the way? Let's just find out. We've currently locked up 95K. If we get to fourth place, it's $222,000. I mean, it's, it's significant for these guys, you know, even though it's a 25K buy-in. Um, yeah, I, but I think you're right. I think like calling 9-10 suited against a weak, a weak player in a weak field, much better. Makes a lot more sense to me. Okay. I still think it might be good to call in this situation, but I could be convinced otherwise, okay. or I guess I couldn't be convinced right now otherwise, but I could be shown some, some GTO charts and shit that like, yeah. like, okay, fine. I guess if everything's equal, we should fold that hand, but yeah. I really don't want to. Nope. I really don't want to. You have to, you just have GTO to fold man. a lot when there's guys this short, you know, and like you have a re- medium stack, you just have to, especially when everyone's good. You just, I think you just have to, but again, Let's not get too deep. Uh, we've, we've gone as far. We've mined that as far as we're going to mine that, right? Like, yeah, that's fine. Anyway, Elos decides just to flat. I do like this. It just feels really a lot more comfortable than three betting and being yeah. like, fuck, I just really hope that he folds. And then, oh, fuck, can I just flop a queen one time, please? Like, I mean, yeah, we have to like, just, we have to raise enough that we have fold equity, which means we have to make it at least like eight blinds, maybe seven and a half will do it. Maybe seven because of the, because of the short stacks. But every yeah, time maybe. he doesn't fold, it's a, it feels like a disaster. You know, and it's just like, yeah. who wants to deal with that? So, yeah, I think a call is just the play. That's what Elis does. I like it. I like it a decent amount here. Elis with his ace. I clean. also like nitrogen sports. Oh, look at you. Yeah. Showing out. Are you, are you surprised that I like nitrogen sports? I'm surprised that you're so open about it and like yelling, like sharing with the world, you know? That's all. Well, I have no shame because it's a great place to play poker and sports bet and casino gamble. And everybody who doesn't think that is honestly kind of a complete piece of trash. Yeah. And that's my honest, that's really my opinion. Look, we're all thinking um, it, but for you to really say it, I mean, it's just like you said the quiet part out loud and it's powerful. Yeah. 
Yeah, basically, if you don't think of nitrogen sports as an excellent place <laughs> to wager your Bitcoin on poker, sports, and casino games, you're basically a, a non-entity. Like, what's the point of you in the universe? Like, do you have purpose? Probably not. Consider that for a second before taking your next step, or even should you take the next step? I Just mean, stop moving. I think it's clear what, done. What, what their purpose is. It's to, it's to validate entropy. But that's about it. Ah. Okay. Well, if you want to do something beyond validating entropy <laughs> and contributing, not contributing, but participating in the slow heat death of the universe, sure. if you want to do something beyond that, uh, you could use the link in the description to sign up for Nitrogen Sports, and that's a good idea. That'll First of all, you'll still be participating in the situation that will end in the slow heat death of the universe, but you'll be doing it in kind of a cool, badass way. You know what I'm saying? With Nitrogen Sports Poker, where the poker guys have the greatest monthly tournament in the history of entropy, Jonathan. Tell them more about it. Well, let me tell you all about it, Grant, because this tournament's got it all. This tournament's got... Fire, it's got ice. It's both cool and hot at the same time. It's like, it's like when you drink something and you're confused, man, but in a good way, bro. <laughs> yeah, also, they guarantee 1,000 okay. buy-ins every month, Grant. It's a monthly tournament. 1,000 buy-ins, they guarantee. These days, with the price of Bitcoin, just every day it goes up. So that's about $1,800 right about now, amazingly. Um, but you're buying... Is only about $1.80 in BTC, which is great. But here's the masterful stroke that's important. The, they cap the amount of entries at 300 players. We usually get like 200, by the way. But the most they, they could ever play would be 300, which means they're always throwing in an extra 700 buy-ins at minimum into the pool, which means it's like $1,200, $1,300. You're just like, here you go. Here's a free twelve or 1300 bucks just for playing in the tournament. Players, it's in the prize pool. Go out there and get it. It's insane. I don't know why they're still doing it. They're surely going to go broke at some point, but until they do, I mean, it's plunder, gonna, plunder. It's going to end sometime, right? Yeah. Like This is not guaranteed to last forever, so you should get in there while you can. It's like, of course, once... Once it, it diminishes, it's not going to end entirely, but there will still also be other Poker Guys stuff that mm. you can get from using the link in the description when you sign up. So use that link and use it soon in case Nitrogen notices that they're just throwing money into the, the abyss. Yeah, you know? so just smart. Go ahead. Plunder! Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we've got uh, seven nine of spades for okay. Ben CB in the cutoff in position. We got Elis Parson in with ace queen off in the small blind out of position. The big blind has folded. I don't know if I mentioned that. The pot is 470,000. The flop is eight of clubs, eight of diamonds, king of clubs. So nobody has any suit on the board somehow. That's pretty impressive. Good job, guys. Um, and nobody has a flop that they like very much. I mean, Elis has an okay flop for his queen, but it's not amazing. No. Ben definitely has plenty of kings in his range and certainly has eights in his range as well. Mm -hmm. I, I think this is something worth discussing because they both check. Yeah. I, I find Elis's check to be rudimentary. Ben's check. Let's talk about this. Okay. Um, is he concerned that Elis has too many kings because of the situation where he's going to have like king 10 suited plus and never three bet them? I think Is that's that exactly what's going on. I think it's a lot of it. I shouldn't say exactly. I think that's a lot of what's going. King Queen, King Jack, King Ten are all there. Obviously, some of those are most of those are the suited variety, of course. Um, that that just like makes a lot of sense, and that actually may be among the the most obvious things. Like, what else is being flatted with here? Like some medium pocket pairs, probably because you actually are getting yeah. the odds to flop a set, uh, the implied odds, I should say, um, and like 
sure, okay, ace queen is possible, ace jack is possible, uh, maybe ace ten, probably ace ten suited, but probably not ace ten off. Like, there's not a whole lot else there. I, maybe queen jack suited, but like kings are a reasonable part of it. And I think the king eight eight is just a board that Ben is probably checking a lot in this spot with his whole range. All right. I have, uh, I, I think those are all really good points, but I have some points good. on the other end. Great. If we take into account your assumption that Elis is not flatting suited connectors, yeah. that is a pretty important thing to take into account. That means he doesn't have that eights. many club draws that yeah. can check raise us, and he mm-hmm. doesn't have any eights that can check raise us. Right. Whereas Ben has all of those hands. Ben also has ace, king, 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 ace, ace, king, queen, king, jack, king, ten. Yep. So I think Ben has a, a range advantage. I think he, he does have a clear range advantage, especially with the eights. And I think the clubs are important, too, to yeah. note that Ben definitely has more suited hands in his range. I mean... Uh, because assuming what you say is correct. Yeah, you know? I mean, Ben certainly so, has eights, more eights than Elis does, almost certainly, no matter yeah. how we want to play it, right? Like, Ben has ace-eight in his range. Elis doesn't, right? Elis is three-betting right. that are folding. He's never flatting that hand, right? Right. Probably that's true for, like we're saying, the other suited connectors who, like, nine-eight suited, seven-eight suited... Um, ten eight suited, maybe even six I mean, eight. Ben suited. might have, but yeah, Ben might have jack eight suited, right? You know, like, and whereas Elis doesn't. I mean, maybe Elis does have some suited connectors, and I'm wrong, but he doesn't have all of those, right? He could have, maybe, if he has any, he's got nine eight suited and maybe seven eight suited, and that would be the absolute max. So that's four combos tops of eights he can have, really, except pocket eights. That's five combos of eights yeah. that he's involved in. I don't think he can have any others. You make a really good point. Plus, Ben has got more kings, also. So that's fair. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah, Ben has more kings. You're right. Elis, like, he's got ace-king and Elis doesn't, probably. He, here's the, here's beyond that, here's the other thing, beyond though. that, they might have the same kings. Elis also has a bunch of medium pocket pairs, which are probably yeah. not folding to one bet. So maybe that's one but, of the reasons why Ben doesn't see bet this board much, is when you think about Elis's range, it's, it's like actually not that many folds if he doesn't have suited connectors, Right, it's like a few aces may fold, but besides that, it's kings and pocket pairs, and most of the pocket pairs are probably going to call at least once. Yeah, but I don't care if I'm Ben because yeah. with my range advantage here, I can bet turn and get most folds. I agree. Like most of his hands are going to fold. I don't care if he has pocket tens; he's going to fold the turn if I bet again. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. These guys are you know, playing pretty high level stuff. It's possible Elis is not folding the turn, but th- possibly he is. Uh, it's possible also just the 12 blind stacks make it so a Ben can put a lot of pressure on, but also Ben doesn't want to make a big mistake here either. And like give away a lot of chips where he gives away, like he's in a good position right now and he doesn't want to necessarily screw it up. Right. I agree with you. I think everything I said is fine. It wouldn't really occur to me not to bet this board where I think like my opponent has very few eights. I've got more and better Kings. I have other stuff too, that he doesn't have. Why wouldn't I bet this? I can bet small. I fold to a raise. Right. If I get called, I don't have to continue if I don't want to. I probably do continue mostly, but I don't have you to. You have to. Well, you my opponent has a lot of kings. King. My opponent still has a lot unless of kings. Unless it's a king. What? He has some kings. Yeah. I mean, like, if he has all these pocket pairs that he's not folding on the flop, that's enough that you yeah. kind of have to continue on the turn. That's fair. Unless a king that's fair. You're gonna, you should fold out most of them on the turn. Most of the pocket yeah. pairs. Maybe not all, but most. Uh, and what's he going to do? I mean, like, this might be like an auto triple barrel for me, honestly. If... Yeah. Under the assumption, this is under the assumption that you're correct and that Elis doesn't have too many suited connectors, if any. If he has none at all, 
I think this is an auto triple barrel unless a king hits. I mean, even if he has suited connectors, like what does he have besides seven eight suited and and nine eight suited? He doesn't have any yeah, others. Right. That's four combos. Like they're basically yeah. uh, they basically don't exist anyway. You know, like they're so rare. He's got those in pocket eights. Those are the only five combos that can comfortably, I guess King Queen can hold on very comfortably. King Jack is going to have, I guess any reasonable king, which are all his kings, are probably going to have to hold on to, like ultimately. Like maybe you get to the river and you have to make a tough decision. Like if you get triple barreled, maybe you, don't have to, maybe you can't call all your kings. But you call all your eights and some of your kings. I don't think you can call too comfortably. I think this is not a triple barrel because of the range advantage. Because if Elis's yeah. top of his range is something like King Queen here, like, yeah. Maybe he calls the triple barrel with king queen. I don't know if he does though. When Ben can clearly have a lot of much stronger hands than king queen and triple barrel them. Like I don't know if like with with those short stacks. If if there's still twenty two blinds back on the river and Ben moves in, king queen is not comfortable. Not at all. It is not comfortable. I think Elis is is you know Elis being a guy who's like clearly had a lot of tournament success, online tournament success. My guess is he would be able to quickly do the. I don't ever have a better hand than this, and against a guy like Ben, I just always have to call here. Um, is my guess. Otherwise, what's the point of calling king queen pre if you're going to fold when you have like when you're at top of your range and you still have top top pair good kicker because against a guy like calling king queen pre and what your range is by the river yeah. are not exactly related. It, there's That's different true. runouts, of course. You know, but 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 hoping to have a better hand than this by the river when you call king queen pre from the small blind is is a bit of a lark, right? You're not, you're very rarely going to have a better hand than like a king high board that's pretty safe looking, right? That's like really, that's okay, one fine. of the best possible boards. Obviously, yes, you can have two pair plus, but like rarely are you going to have that. Rarely you're not going to have All an right, ace my on point, board too or something else ugly. We're, we're debating the ostensible top of Elis's range yep. here, right? Like, and my point is that he's even very uncomfortable on the third barrel with right. the very top of you're it. Right. And King Jack is probably leaning towards a fold, right? I don't know if it actually is for all the normal distribution range stuff like we're talking about in the same way, but still your point is, is made and is good, which is if we triple barrel as Ben, Elis is going to have to fold most of his range and he's going to hate the rest of it. And if he doesn't really have his like discipline down, maybe he even folds that, right? If he's like, fuck it, there's a 12 blind stack and two 15 blind stacks. What am I doing? Like I still have 30 blinds. If I fold right now, why do I have to call this all in? Right. Um, So it's possible. Or maybe he's the type of guy who's like, fuck you. Of course I call. Like you can't use that against me. I'm going to call. It depends on what kind of guy he is. Yeah. Um, I agree with you, actually. I think probably we can bet here, usually win. By the way, I think a bet here would, I think Ace-Queen's folding to a bet here because of those short stacks. Mm-hmm. Like, it would probably normally call to a tiny C-bet, right? Yeah. Um, most of the time, against, against a guy like Ben. But I think you just throw it away and move on to the next hand. You're like, that cost me a blind and a half. Whatever. Moving on. Yeah. Uh, I'm drawing, sometimes I'm drawing dead or nearly dead. You know, like, dead to running queens or something. Like, you know, like, happy to, happy to throw it away. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think actually, I don't know what the solver says, but I, it feels like just betting here is incredibly effective against pretty much the entire world. Like we saw Phil Ivey in that hand against Ike Haxton, which is in our book, by the way. Mm, yeah. How Can He Fold? Great book. Everyone should buy it if you haven't already. It's on Amazon and on our website too. Definitely get it. Lots of five-star reviews. Uh, where it was a 250K buy-in also. Though this is 25K, so it's a little different. 250K yeah, different, buy-in. different buy-in. They were right on the bubble. Uh, Ike Haxton opened from the cutoff. Ivy defended the big blind with ace, deuce of spades, flopped a deuce and a flush draw, the nut flush draw, of course, check called the flop, check folded the turn, 
on a non-scary runout, quite frankly. And Ike had ace high, but just barreled the turn. And this is like if Ivy is going to fold, I know it's a 250K, but still, if Ivy's folding there, you should be able to get almost anyone to fold with a lot of pressure in these types of spots, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, we don't know the, everything that goes into this. We don't know the history between these players. I think the points I've made are pretty good, but I think you made some pretty good points in favor of checking before that. Um, ben may also be aware of, or at least under the assumption, that Elis's range is way too king heavy, and Elis is never folding kings to triple barrel. Maybe that's right. something that Ben knows. Right. Like maybe Elis has king ten suited plus a lot, and Ben's aware of that. It's, it makes up like thirty five percent of his range based on calling onto the small blind or something. Maybe, and he's and he's never folding. Yeah, that that would make sense. That in conjunction with Ben's hand being really bad on this board. He's like, well, this is just isn't one of the hands I go for it with. Yeah. You know, maybe Elis is also the kind of guy who isn't just going to hold on with a king. Maybe he's going to hold on with pocket tens or pocket nines and stuff like that, too. And if you know that, I mean, you should not be firing, right? You should just be like, yeah. never mind. And that's OK, because it's only costed you two blinds. Also, it's not that expensive. I said cost. That said, like a costed. That said, cost. yeah, costed. Good. Yeah. That said, I still think I, I definitely prefer a stab here. I do, too, unless we know so much about this opponent and we have really good reasons not to bet, like amazing reasons, opponent-based. It feels like if you bet here and bet again on the turn, which you should almost always do, you're nearly always going to win. Like, yeah. Sounds great. But that's not what happens. It goes check, check. Right. We're going to head to the turn with 470 still in the pot, eight of clubs, eight of diamonds, king of clubs, flop. Turn is the queen of hearts. So Elis turns a queen with his ace-queen. Ben has nothing, is drawing dead with seven nine of spades. We both check again. Yeah. All right. Break down Elis's check. Elis's check is easy and obvious. Uh, when Ben checks the flop, he's often going to bet this turn card. One, because he just hit the queen sometimes. Other times to rep the queen. Um, if Ben has jacks, I don't know if we're getting two streets anyway, but we're going to get one street by checking and betting the river. Seems like a really obvious, easy check into Ben's range. Yep. Just hope he bets and hope he doesn't have a slow played eight or king. Yep. Or, you know, aces or something like that. Or pocket queens. What about Ben? Should he be, should Ben be taking a stab? Because he's not fulfilling Elis's hopes. Yeah. I'm surprised Ben doesn't bet here. It feels like when Elis checks again, Elis is now going to bet his, his eights. If he has any at all, his kings, he's going to bet. I guess the problem is the queen fills out the rest of almost the rest of Elis's range that isn't medium pocket pairs now, like queen yeah. jack, ace queen, maybe queen ten suited, maybe. Uh, but there's still all those medium pocket pairs that you might just get to fold. So yeah. I'm a little surprised Ben is not taking shots here. Maybe he just thinks Elis is super sticky and it's not worth it. That's the maybe only thing I can come up with. Ace jack and ace ten. Maybe he's worried Ace Jack and Ace Ten are also going to hold on because they have gut shots now, and yeah. Ben didn't bet the flop. Yeah, maybe Ben was looking for some kind of equity. Also, like he didn't have it, like he doesn't have any back doors or anything on this, you know, on this flop. I mean, I guess he's got a backdoor straight draw, but fine. Like it's not a good backdoor. There's no spades on this flop. There's nothing really happening for him, and so like he wants to have some kind of equity, perhaps. If there's one spade on the flop, maybe he feels comfortable betting as well. If one of the eights is the eight of spades. He's like, okay, I got two back doors. There are a lot of good turn cards I can barrel on, but he wants to bet with equity instead of no equity at all, which is what he has. So he feels like he's in, in fact, we see he's in a zero equity spot. Yeah. So it may just yeah, be I guess. that. Well, whatever it is, we're heading to the river. 
which is the nine of diamonds. So Ben pairs. It's now eight of clubs, eight of diamonds, king of clubs, queen of hearts, nine of diamonds. So jack 10 gets there. Yeah. That's the only draw that, that comes in uh, at any point in the hand. Ben now has a bad pair with his 9-7, and Elis has a pretty good pair with ace-queen. Yeah. Should Elis go for value? And if so, what is he targeting to get called by? I think he probably should go for value, and I think he's trying to get called by pocket tens, pocket jacks, uh, stuff like that. Maybe ace nine once in a while. Um, those are the Maybe only nine op- seven. What? Yeah, sure, nine seven. Right. If there's a nine seven out there, um, or nine six, or ten nine suited, I guess. I assume ten nine suited is betting the turn because it picks up equity. Uh, it's a good semi bluff spot, but but nine but nine seven doesn't. Yeah. Some weird nine or a few of the pocket pairs. I assume the, the pocket pairs below an eight are folding if we bet mostly against our range. Um, but I think we yeah. probably should bet because I just don't know that Ben's going to bet anymore. It feels like Ben has like two sevens and is going to check again. And like, why let him do that? Why not, why not bet and try and extract value? I like betting. Do we have any hope of getting called by two sevens? Um, that's a fair question. We have a hope. I think we have more hope of getting called by two sevens than checking in two sevens betting. I admit neither of them are very likely. Um, yeah. Are Jack's going to bet? Maybe, but Jack's are probably going to have to call, right? Ten, same thing. It's not great, I, but I think we should probably be going for some value here. Our hand is pretty good. We almost always have the best hand, right? Ben showed no propensity I, to put chips in the pot. Let's give him a chance to call at least. I'm just afraid he's he hasn't again. yet. He hasn't yet, but he's not just some noob who's just going to check when he doesn't have anything all the time. Now, maybe he, maybe in this case, he would. We're not going to find out. You'll see that soon. But if Ben really has kind of a nothing hand, he might just feel obligated to take a shot if we check. We've checked three times. Okay, like, but I know what if ben, he has four or five suited. I know Ben didn't have anything this time, and so it's going to go against what I'm about to say. But. Mostly you would think when Ben checks twice, he's got a showdownable hand, right? Like it's really surprising that he doesn't have a showdownable hand in this spot where you can put pressure on the opponent and everything, and he's got nine high. Yeah. Like I would always think he has a showdownable hand here because he's good. Now, I think he's reversing it because he's, he's trying to go another level here, but like how can we – I mean accounting for that seems like asking a lot, and I would assume he's got a showdownable hand. I think it's much more reasonable to think he does than he doesn't. Yeah, I think that's right. I – Ultimately, I think that it's basically the same quality of play to check or to bet. I think they're about the same. I like betting, but I don't love betting compared to checking. I'll grant you that. I think, I think betting's got to be better because I think Ben usually has a showdownable hand. But it's also possible Ben will think when we check yet again, like, oh, I, I have to bluff. Uh, even if I yeah. have a showdown, my ace high might not be good because this guy keeps checking and maybe I, maybe I need to bluff here. Or maybe I can try and get thin value with a hand like pocket sevens against, an, against a slightly worse pocket pair. I don't know. Like what, what nothing hands does Elis have left in his range? Ace 10 and ace jack? Is that it? I think that's right. I think everything else is a pair. Yeah. So Ben probably isn't going to bluff ace high very often, right? Unless, unless he's trying to get like pocket fives to fold. Yeah. Which might work. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, but he might also just check. The pot's small. Like, who cares? I don't know if yeah. pocket fives are going to call either, though. Like you're saying, like, Elis usually has something. Elis is pretty close to the top of his range at this point, though, right? I mean, he has a few sets of nines. He has some kings, although he usually bets the king on the turn. If he somehow had an eight, he usually bets that on the turn. Not always, but usually. 
Like we're pretty, we have one of our better hands here. Yeah. Another you know, reason. Bet. I'm fine with it. Yeah. He bets half pot. Okay. 235 into 470. Sounds good. Um, for most players in most situations, this is a binary decision for Ben. He's paired the nine. He's like, well, I could call or I could fold. Yeah. And usually I'm going to fold. Right. But Ben doesn't want to do those things. He's not interested in doing those things. Ben is going to raise. Yeah. He raises big. He makes it 1.32 million. That is a large raise. It is. It's about twice the pot. It's yeah. pretty, pretty big. Um, okay. I think it's an easy answer as to what he's repping. It's nines yeah. full and jack 10, right? I think it's nines full way more than jack 10. Jack 10 almost always bets the turn because it's open-ended, picks up equity, all that stuff. Nine, yeah. Nines don't, and nines are going to want to check that queen a lot. So I, and he blocks the nine. He doesn't block jack 10 at all. I, I feel like he's really strongly saying, I've got nines full. But he'd love to be able to also rep Jack-10 because he could probably have 16 combos of that having opened in the cutoff, right? If he could get to the river this way. It just is he's usually betting the turn with that hand. Usually. Yeah, but as we see, he checks 9-7 yeah. on the flop. He, right. does, he does unconventional things. He might be thinking on the, like checking the flop the same way he did with the 9-7 with the Jack-10 with yeah. no real equity. The turn comes and he's like, well, now Elis kind of always has something or maybe he has like a small pocket pair and I should bet against those hands, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe Elis isn't calling with those hands pre-flop. I don't know if he's calling with deuces, threes, fours, hands like that. It's possible he's not. I would assume he is because he can, he can set mine for one and a half blinds. Yeah. So I would guess he's, he's calling with all pocket pairs that are below, you know, maybe, maybe Jackson lower. He's just calling. He might three-bet Jacks all anyway. But. All right, I guess I question, if it's only nines full, is it too thin? Like, does Ben have to also actually think he can rep Jack-10 to make this reasonable? Or other strong hands? It's probably not only nines full. Like, it's probably also pocket eights sometimes. He's going to play like this, you know, but there's obviously only one combo of that. There's only three combos of nines full anyway. I would think pocket kings are more likely to play like this than pocket eights based on Elos's range. Like, eights would probably lean towards going for value earlier because Elos has so many kings that he can have. And then the queen also comes. Yeah, I think you're probably right. That's fair. Um, Even pocket kings is probably betting the turn. Like, you just want to get value, right? Like, don't you want to, like, Probably. why are we trying to get one street of value here? Like, you know it's hard to get called if you raise the river, unless the guy really has something. If the guy really has something, we could have been getting value earlier anyway. Like, feels like you're, feels like you're betting most of these strong hands early. It is pretty thin to say, I've got pocket nines. Part of, I think, the equation here for raising is that Ben is putting Elis on just a pretty good hand only. So, like, when Elis bets half pot, Ben's, the reason why Ben doesn't call is he thinks, like, I'm not winning enough to call, right? Like, I'm just losing to all the kings and the queens and stuff, like, too much of the time. Like, it's just not safe. Yeah. Um, so I have to raise, even though once in a while I'm winning anyway. Like, I, I just have to raise. That seems reasonable. Um, and he thinks, like, Elis, though, mostly has, like, a queen or a king. And is Elis really going to call? This goes back to, like, put, it's another way to put big ICM pressure on, right? Like we were talking about triple yeah. barreling. Here's a different way to do it when you have the blocker and you're like, okay, I block a nine. That's pretty good. Uh, yeah. Nines are probably Elis's most likely super strong value hand too, as played because you would hmm. think Elis would bet the turn some of the time with Jack 10. If he has yeah. Jack 10 suited, I, I guess we're unclear on that. Um, but you'd think Elis would bet the turn if he did have that. I would most of the time. And nines would probably play exactly like this all the way through. Yep. 
And so blocking that, having a nine in your hand is really, you know, makes it so much easier to say, well, he doesn't have nines almost ever, you know, yep. it's nice. And you'd probably expect Elis to also bet King Queen on the turn as a hand that would strongly consider calling this raise. I think so. So, so yeah, I guess because you get to block the nine and King Queen would likely have bet the turn anyway. Jack 10 likely would have bet the turn anyway. Ben feels like any nine in his hand is the perfect bluffing hand. Maybe that's what we come down to? I think it is. I mean, I think you'd really prefer if you were Ben to have Jack nine or 10 nine to be the perfect bluffing hand. Right. Because yeah, with no clubs, that feels like the ultimate bluffing hand really. But, um, but that feels like the right one. Cause now you're blocking Jack 10 also, but the nine is really, but still you're not really repping Jack 10 so much. Sure. Yes. You can check back at once in a while, but mostly you're betting it on the turn. If you're Ben, I yeah. gotta think, but pocket nines, probably all three, all three combos are probably there for Ben. Yep. Well, he reps whatever he reps well enough that Elis does eventually fold after a long tank. It would have been a pretty damn cool call with oh my Ace gosh. Queen on this board. It would have been an aw- it would have been an amazing call. I don't see how you can really make it. But it gets weird where you're like, "Well, what better hands do I have?" You you as Elis, you're probably thinking, "I've got pocket nines." Um, yeah. I've got king queen a little bit, a little bit. And then I don't probably know. Probably a little king jack. If we have king queen, we have king jack. Yeah, a little bit, but it's just a little bit of both of those, right? Like mostly yeah. we don't have those. Uh, I guess we have a little bit of Jack 10. Yeah. So we have a few very, very powerful hands. But pocket nines is, again, the only one which we have all the combos of that fit in here in our mind as Elis. Yeah. But this isn't super I mean, high up in our distribution, I guess, that we're going to bet on the river. The, the thing for Ben here is that this is a very good story, but only for one hand. It's not a good story for a lot of value. It's only a good story for 9-9, nine, nine, right? Everything else is kind of a bad story. I think, I think that's right. And it's weird to be, like, so laser-focused. I don't know if Ben would have tried this without the ICM pressure in addition to the blocker and yeah. the situation. You know, like, like, the fact that there's three short stacks means... He's just, he's decided to tell a really weird story where it's like, well, how can Ben be bluffing? He checked flop and turn on boards that he really, you would expect him to bet a lot, right? So that seems weird to suddenly bluff here. Uh, why would he choose to do that? And turns out, I guess you could have ace 10 or ace jack and decide to do it because he blocks jack 10. And, but again, jack 10 usually bets the turn, pocket nines doesn't. Yeah. So having that nine blocker is, it feels like, yeah, the play. I mean, I don't know how many people are really ever going to make this play in reality. Like, yeah. I don't know that it would occur to most people to make this play. Like you said, it would mostly be a fold or a call, and that would be it. But Most of the time, yeah. You also need an opponent who's capable of folding when you raise, right? Like some, some opponents just aren't going to fold. They're going to fold ace-queen, I guess, but they're not going to fold a bunch of their other stuff. It's true. Well, ultimately... Ben ends up getting third, right? But Elis wins. That is exactly thing. right. So Elis, Ben wins up wins three hundred thousand dollars. Elis wins five hundred and forty thousand dollars. They both did very well. Congratulations to those guys. Super wonderful.